Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. I heard a lot of, a lot of laughter in that clip. Um, it's like some of y'all have seen that one before or something. Um, let's just be honest, how many of y'all have watched Andy Griffith way more than you want to admit? Okay, how many of y'all have just never, I'm gonna look right here, how many of you have just never watched it at all and that was like, what is this mess? Okay, yeah, uh, balcony, just, just not, okay, good. So, uh, I grew up in an Andy Griffith house, my grandparents were in Andy Griffith house and uh, last week, Pastor Brown was talking about harmony and the entire time he was talking about harmony, all I could think about was that clip right there. And so I thought, how can I incorporate that into what we're talking about today? Um, and so what we're gonna do is we're actually just gonna pick up where Pastor Brian left off last week in this One Another series. And um, I love watching that clip. Uh, one, because my dad is one of those that if he ever gets to go on a game show about Andy Griffith, he's gonna win whatever the prize is. If it's a new car, if it's a billion dollars, he's going to win. I think he's seen every episode more times than like the crew that edited it all together. Um, and so he's just always full of facts, including the one that, did you know Barney can actually sing? Like, yeah, I mean, Don, Don Knotts can actually sing really well, and, and he's actually got a really good voice, and so for him to act and sound that bad, is, it's impressive. And what always stands out to me, though, is how everybody was able to straight face him being that horrible. Like, as an actor, to be able to sit there and continue to sing and not lose your ever-loving mind with him singing that horrible, I just love it. It makes me happy. Um, but... I think there's a lot we can learn about Barney and the choir. And so um, today, we're gonna be looking at one another in unity, in unity. Um, and I think that's something that we might need to reevaluate as the church. Um, what does it actually mean to be united? And so I've already mentioned it, Pastor Brian kind of stole a little bit of my thunder last week. He started talking about harmony versus haughty and I was sitting there the whole time like, well, let's just mark that whole section out of my notes for this week because that's 100% part of mine. But I'm not gonna mark it out. We're just gonna hit it again and kind of segue out of it some. Um, but kind of just looking at, the, uh, <laughs> looking at that, that clip with Barney, uh, I think... I think there's a lot we can learn about ourselves by just watching that one clip. First of all, the fact that Barney is just completely oblivious. I mean, he is singing his heart out. He is, he is doing his job and he's doing it to the best of his ability and he's doing great. He's even gonna go a step above and beyond. He's gonna help find the ones that aren't doing their job right. And I think a lot of us are that way. I think a lot of us are oblivious to our own hiccups and our own hurdles and our own mistakes and our own missteps and we're so confident in ourselves that we don't recognize where we're singing out of key. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we are just so familiar with and so confident with and this is what I've always done and what I've always been good at and what I've always said and what I've always sung and this is, this is who I am and I'm good at it. And we don't recognize like, wait, hold on, maybe I'm the one that's actually out of key. But then the other thing is that they let Barney keep going. Nobody wanted to say anything. You got Andy back there who's just like about to cry in frustration. You got Aunt B that's sitting there and then, you know, I don't know if y'all noticed, but the, the younger lady here in the front that just turned and gave that, that stare, 
We've all gotten that stare from mom or from somebody else's mom or something. We've all gotten it before, but she just looks like, how do you not hear yourself? But nobody wants to actually say anything. Nobody wants to actually speak up and be like, hey, hey, Barn, you're off. You're, you, you, you misstepped there, buddy. You, you, are, you are not in the melody range. You are not where you're supposed to be. You, you are in a whole other realm from where we're supposed to be right now. And nobody wants to step up and say it. Not even the director wants to say anything. They're all afraid to, to upset him. And if you've seen more than five seconds of Andy Griffith, you know why. He doesn't really handle criticism very well. Barney Fife is not one to respond well when he is critiqued. And you know what? Neither are we. Um, for the most part, we're not very good at handling criticism. Um, I speak from myself looking dead in the mirror. I'm, I like to think I handle it pretty well until I hear it. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I don't. Never mind. Um, as, a, as an athlete, I handled it pretty well. I, I, was, I was pretty good at taking criticism from coaches. But the second that my mom or my dad or my teacher or my boss wants to correct me, it's like, wait a minute, I know what I'm doing. Anybody else like that or am I just alone? Is this just like a, is it a me thing this morning? Okay, so this morning we're talking about one another in unity. One another in unity. And so if you guys wouldn't mind, it's only three verses this morning, so if you wanna uh, stand if you're able, uh, we're gonna be in Romans 15, verses five through seven. Romans 15, verses five through seven. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us each other. Thank you for giving us people to walk through life with. Thank you for giving us helpers and encouragers and, and honestly, for giving us mentors and disciples and coaches that are gonna call us out and gonna help us to grow. Father, we need each other and I thank you for reminding us time and time again in your word our need for each other, that we are not alone in this, that we are a family, that we collectively make up the body and that the feet need the hands and the hands need the shoulders and, and we need all these different pieces and parts and as a church, we need each other. So this morning, Lord, just encourage us and convict us as I know that your word will do. I pray all these things in your name, amen. I can have a seat. <clears throat> I'm gonna apologize. I had a really like itchy, scratchy throat the last couple of days and so I'm breaking the rules and having a drink up here and Foster, can yell at me on Monday? He won't yell at me, he'll just look at me funny. Um, but when we, uh, we take this passage here and we start looking at it, just these three verses, uh, there's, there's a couple of things that really jump out to me. Um, the first one, the first one to me is, is kinda, kind of a really big deal, honestly. Uh, it says in verse six that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to me, it kind of summarizes the whole point of the entire New Testament. It summarizes the entire goal of everything from the time that Jesus ascended until July 17th at 11.20 on, in the year 2022 and then on until Jesus returns that we may together glorify the Father. I think what happens is we get distracted with our own things and our own 
worries and concerns and predicaments and situations and we get concerned with me and we forget that the whole point of us even being here is to glorify the Father. It's not for us to balance glorifying the Father with glorifying ourselves. Our whole purpose after salvation is to glorify the Father. And that hurts. That's a hard lesson. I, I don't like it, but it's what the Bible says. I wish that I could just be about me and let Jesus kind of be a part of that whole spectrum, but that's not how it works. It's not, well, how do I fit Jesus into Jacob's world? It's, this is Jesus's world and I'm just here until he calls me home. But that, that disrupts everything we've ever done and ever been taught pre-Jesus. And so there's, there's something to be said about you know, the baptisms that we're gonna be doing here in, in two weeks on the 31st, and you better be at the picnic because we're gonna dunk some people, and it's gonna be awesome, and it's gonna be great. But there's, there's something about that, that whole buried in Christ and risen and all these verses and all, these, all this church talk about being a new creation and being brought back and being you know, dead in our sin and alive in Christ, that there is new breath in us, there is new life in us. It's new. It's supposed to be different than what it was before Jesus. It's new. And so there's everything you were taught until Jesus gets a hold of you and then it should look different. Your goal should be a different goal. Pre-Jesus, we are chasing what makes me happy, better, satisfied. Post-Jesus, it should be all about what glorifies the Father. And oftentimes that is going to collide with what I want. What I want is to get my way all the time. What I'm called to do is whatever is going to glorify the Father in all ways all the time. And it is from that that all the rest of today comes from. That we be unified in this, this mission, which is the very last point of the day, but that we, we, we are doing all the things that we do because our sole top priority focus is to glorify the Father. The way that I parent, the way that I work, the way that I drive, you people that are aggressive in traffic, um, the way that I talk to my coworker, the way that I uh, you know, talk to my kids, the way that I do anything should be in a way that is meant to glorify the Father. Now, are we going to be perfect? No, of course not but it should be our goal to glorify the Father in all things. That's, that's where we started. That's why we're starting here in Romans 15, um, five through seven. That's why I, just, that's why I just chose to, to start there today. And so if our goal is not to glorify the Father, if that's, if that's wrong, if I'm wrong, if that's not the goal, then what are we doing here? Like, what's, what's the point? I would love to be asleep right now. Some of y'all would love to be on the lake fishing right now. Some of you have like a whole list of things you need to get done before you go back to work on Monday and you're, you're just, you're like, well, I gotta get this and I gotta get that. And I gotta. So why aren't we doing that? Why are we here instead of there? Why, why are we here instead of doing all the countless other things that we could be doing? Well, I think it's because we recognize as Christians that there is a, a much higher purpose than what I want. But we struggle to live that way. We know it and it's there if it's not there, then maybe you need to evaluate your heart and where you stand with Jesus anyway to start with. But um, if, we're, if our focus is not to glorify the Father, if our focus is about ourselves, well, that's easy, that's just wrong. But if our focus is on 
let's just, let's focus on this specific building, this specific church. Let's make this church better than all the other churches. What? There's no competition. Our, our only, we, we have one job as all Christians, and that's to bring as many people to the kingdom as possible. So if us and Shiloh can work together, or Shiloh's that way, I guess, if we can work together, then let's work together. If us and the, and the two churches between here and my house can work together, then let's work together. Like, there's not a competition. I don't care if you're going to that church or this church. I just care that you're a part of the church. Now, I can say that. I used to not think that, though. I used to be all about, like, you gotta be at my church. I don't wanna work with other churches because you might leave my church and go to their church because their church has something that my church doesn't have and there's all these fears and we, we've gotta, we gotta be better than the other church. No, we don't. We gotta seek to glorify the Father and he will honor and he will reward and he will bless that. If our goal is to make Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church the greatest thing in Walker County, we are missing the point. If our goal is to make God the most magnified name in Walker County, then there we go. Now we got something to work on. If, if our goal here, if our goal here is to build a place that influences the community the greatest, well, having influence on the community is a great thing. I've talked about that before. But if that's our goal, that we become the most influential, that we have all the right people, we have members of the Board of Education, we have members of the, you know, this, that, another thing, we have all, if, if it's just let's build our influence, that our church is connected everywhere and we influence everything, we are missing the point. Now, if we can reach into all these things with the gospel, fantastic. But that has to be the goal that we are glorifying the Father by taking the gospel anywhere and everywhere we possibly can, not so that we have the most influence to make sure the Walker County is ran the way Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church wants it to be ran. Are you kidding me? And that sounds ridiculous, because on that scale it is, but we do kind of think that way. We gotta protect everything, we gotta do this, and we gotta manage this, and we gotta fix that. No, we gotta glorify the Father and let him take care of the rest of that stuff. Now that doesn't mean that we just chalk it up and we'll just let whatever happens happen. No, but our focus has to be on let's glorify the Father and let him take care of the details. And so we're gonna, we're gonna jump into this, but I wanted to start with a quote that I shared with some of these kids that were at camp and it is a quote that my best friend, the kid that actually got me to like listen to the gospel for the first time, we were talking, catching up a few weeks ago and he said this right here. He said, I found myself living for myself under the guise of living for Jesus. It was the reputation of a Christ follower that I was building more than a heart for Christ. He said, I went years focused on making sure I checked the boxes and I looked like a good Christ follower. And, st- and that was what I was focused on is, does everybody look at me and see Christian? And I was focused on making sure that I said the right and did the right and, and wore the right and I was in the right places. And he said, in reality, I was missing time with Jesus because I was focused on, are they, are they seeing Jesus when they look at me instead of me just running at Jesus, letting him handle the rest? And he's like, I know it might sound like it's, like it's the same thing, like I'm just kind of being like overly technical or critical. And I said, no, it makes perfect sense. We get caught up in in the image and we get caught up in, in the acts and we get caught up in the stuff and we miss the Jesus. We miss the fact that we don't change anything. Christ changes us and he calls us to certain things. And so there is absolutely no room for self-centered pride in the church, just like there's no place for Barney's pride in the Mayberry Choir. Um, and so, Jesus gives us command, and out of that command comes all these things we're fixing to talk about. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So in this, these greatest two commands, and nowhere does Jesus say focus on yourself. He says to love the Lord your God and then to love others. We're not even in the question. We're not even in the rankings. It's not like it's God, others, us. He doesn't mention us. Love God, love others, period. He ends it. That's the end of his statement. So with that in mind, let's jump into this. So point number one, picking up where Pastor Brian left off, the church must be united in harmony. The church must be united in harmony. And so Romans 12, 16, it'll be up there in just a second. Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Pastor Brian talked about this. I'm not gonna get into the whole harmony versus haughty thing, but let's just be really honest here. Are we all different? Okay, five of us are different. Are we all different? Are we going to look and say and sound the exact same? No, but we should be working in what? Harmony, where it blends and it works together to create one well put together, good sounding sound, to use a word to describe a word. All the English teachers just died a little bit. But I had an English minor, does that count? I taught it for like two years, it's fun. Um, we should be living in harmony, not sameness, harmony. I don't need, in the youth group, Brian and Carter to be the same person. I need Brian to be Brian and Carter to be Carter. Like, Miss Samantha just nailed that. Like, we need to be who we are, but who we are should be chasing after Christ. And if that happens, then we start to develop harmony amongst ourselves, where together we are, we're amplifying the glory of God. See it in our homes. If there is one parent who loves the Lord and one parent who could care less, there's no harmony there. That doesn't mean there's not good. There's just no harmony. It's two different voices. They're not singing the same song. They're not singing, they're not singing together. If we have a, if we have a small group and, and this group wants to, to, let's just talk about what all is happening all the time and this group wants to learn all the time and they're not working together, is that a very productive small group? Is that a good Sunday school class? No, of course not. If we are not, not, not the same, but if we are not in harmony with one another, creating different parts of the same song, then we are missing the point. And we're not glorifying the Father, we're glorifying what we want. Really simple, just go watch the news. It's not about the truth, it's about the agenda. On any side you wanna look at it. I, I've been, you know, some of you saw where I started going to, you know, work out a little bit. Too many jokes about myself and then my daughter called me super, super big and so it's just, that's too much and so I'm gonna go work out. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna work on this a little bit and I'm gonna get myself back in a shape other than round. And, um, I'm sitting in there and I'm on the, I'm on the like elliptical or whatever and I look up and there's a TV with CNN and a TV with Fox News and I watch for like a half hour as both of them said about the same story two very different points. And I went, okay, I taught middle school enough to know. If kid A says this and what kid B says is way over here, they're both liars and the truth is gonna be somewhere in here. And all that you have kids are like, yes. Because you learn that nobody ever tells the whole truth. But what happens is they're like, oh yeah, well I'm, I'm on this team. Well, I, I'm on this team. 
Well, if, if we talk about truth, then those people start coming back together. We don't want that. I want you on my team. And so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna say things that are polarizing. I'm gonna pull you to me, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to sway you. Yeah, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches to live in harmony with one another, to, to never be wise in your own sight. And this requires us to be humble, to recognize, I don't know everything. And just because I've thought it for years doesn't actually make it necessarily right. That does not mean that we believe there's, well, there's no truth. Of course there's truth. It just doesn't necessarily mean that your opinion is truth. If we're not willing to, if we're not willing to, to weigh our opinions against fact, then maybe we need to look in the mirror. Because if it's something that I believe in, I'm willing to put it under the microscope because I trust it. I trust that I'm right. And if I'm wrong, fine, show me. But a lot of us are like, how dare you? How, how dare you say that about what I believe? I, I've, I've believed it for 15, 16, 17, 50 years, whatever. We can't be in harmony with one another unless we're willing to be humble enough to say, I still have more to learn. I still have more to grow. And so we have harmony. Pastor Brian talked about it. I talked about it. Let's, let's move on. Let's get into some of the rest of this because we need to get moving. Uh, point number two, point number two, the church must be united in speech. Yeah, we should all share the gospel. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. We should. But that's not what I'm talking about. The church must be united in speech. And so I got two verses from James I wanna look at real quick. So James 4, 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Look at that very first part. Do not speak evil against one another. And then James 5, 9, do not grumble against one another. Brothers, so that you may not be judged, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, I have a four-year-old, and I taught middle school for a long time. I've heard my fair share of grumbling and complaining and whining and tattling and just making garbage up. I have heard it all. The church is absolutely no place for that. And I know that I'm, I'm young and I've only been here for like seven months and so I may not have the, the right in some of your eyes or the authority in some of your eyes to say this, but that junk's got to stop. There is no place for it whatsoever. That is one of the fastest things that turns people away from the church is they come to the church and they hear the same negativity here that they hear everywhere else. They hear the same gossip here that they hear everywhere else. They hear the same jokes and they, they hear the same garbage here that they hear everywhere else and it turns people away and there's no place for it. It's just, it's just not, it's just not how this should work. That does not mean that everything should just be sunshine and rainbows and happiness all the time because that's not real life. But there is no room for grumbling and complaining and just constant negative speech in the church. There's just no place for it here. It has no business being here. 
It is not worshipful. It is not honoring to the Father. And there is no place for it here. It should not be happening. Well, church hasn't started yet, so let me just tell you what happened with my neighbor the other day. No. No. We've got to draw hard lines. There's no room for gossip. There's no room for slander. There's no room for, well, they're not paying attention, so did you see what they did? No, there's no room for that in the church. We cannot be those people. We can't. Because when we say that and when we act like that, we are no different, and so the world looks at us and says, why do I want that? Why do I want this Jesus? So our negative speech has to stop. Some of you know people that if they weren't negative, they wouldn't talk at all. So how do we replace negative speech? We replace it with positive speech. It's really elementary. But we've got to normalize positive speech. And so before we get into that, I just wanna make sure we, we hear a few things that we've, we've got to stop running around telling other people about other people at work and at the church. Because here's, here's a little newsflash that y'all all know, but I'm just gonna remind you of it. This is a building. We are the church. And so just because you don't say it or talk about it on this campus doesn't mean that it's not happening at church because guess what, you are the church. So when you're gossiping and running your mouth and you're, you're saying the stuff that you have no business saying and you're sharing things you have no business sharing at your work or at your family or in your neighborhood or, or you know, at the ball field because you're bored during a t-ball game, because those are boring, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I, T-ball, I don't understand the fascination with T-ball, but that's not the point right now. The world's watching. And if they see themselves reflected in the church, they're not gonna wanna care about Jesus. I'm telling you that from my own personal experiences. I didn't care about Jesus because I saw too much of myself in these people that went to church all the time. It wasn't until I saw people that actually were authentic in their faith that I actually gave any cares at all about what this gospel message was. We've also gotta stop judging everybody else's actions. Now I wanna be very clear, there's a difference between calling something out and judging something. The Bible tells us very clearly to speak truth. So when, when somebody's messing around, we call them out on it. But the judgment, that's not our job. It's our job to speak truth. It's Jesus' job to sort out the judgment. Because guess what? You don't have a clue what their heart is. You don't have a clue. If, if, if maybe, they're, maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not. You don't know. I don't know. I can look at this group of, of youth right here, and I can tell you what I know about them, but I don't know their heart. I can tell you what I think. I can tell you what my gut says, but I don't know their heart. Only Jesus knows that. That's not our place to judge. Now, there's a difference, again, between truth and judgment, the world will say, you can't judge me. I'm not judging, I'm just telling you the truth. Some of you take that, and some of you, I was looking in the mirror and looking at my family and looking at, you know, you, you, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's y'all, it's not me. That's definitely not it at all. We have a tendency to take the truth and twist it and make it way more judgmental. We, we take truth and we mix our emotion and our opinion into it and then we deliver it. It's not what the Bible tells us to do. It says to speak the truth in what? Anybody know? Speak truth in? With some, with some oomph. Love. It says to speak truth in love. I can tell you very, very quickly 
how I talk to my wife matters just as much, if not more, than what I'm saying to my wife. And all the husbands said, and if you aren't saying amen, there's your life lesson for the day. How you talk to your wife matters more or the same as what you're saying to her. That tone matters. That tone is the source of 98% of our conflict because the way I said it, not what I said, and we do the same thing with truth. We go to share truth, but we do it in a way where it's like, I'm right and you're wrong and you need to fix it. Just share truth. Just be honest. And then be done. Speak truth and let the Holy Spirit convict. Let Jesus do his job, you do yours. Speak truth. But we can also, we can also um, speak positively. We can, we can speak in a way that is the opposite of negative, it is positive. It can be done. Is it normal? No. But it can be done. And so Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Now when I hear be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving, that kid that grew up and went through middle school and high school as a, as a football player and, and in the South and, and with a bunch of country boys, I hear that and I'm like, he's weak. That's weakness. You can't be kind, you can't be tender, you'll get stepped on. But that's what Jesus tells us to do and I don't think Jesus was weak. I don't, I don't see anything in the four gospels makes me go, wow, Jesus is, he's weak, he's soft. No, quite the opposite. I see Jesus standing in the face of the most intense persecution and the most intense, um, and honestly, just sabotage from Satan himself, trying to get him to mess up. And Jesus just is the whole time, here's truth, and here's kindness, and here's forgiveness, and here's grace. And we look at ourselves and go, I can't do that because I'll, I'll be soft. I'll get ran over. I'll get taken advantage of. Okay. How people respond is not our problem. How we act is our problem. How we respond is our problem. Not, not what they do in return. Ephesians 4.29, I say this all the time to the kids, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of others as it fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. We've got to normalize positive speech. How many of y'all are bad at taking compliments? Like you hear a compliment and you're just kind of like, oh, thanks, anybody like that? That's me. Because I was taught if you take a compliment that's, that you're going to settle. You're gonna, you're gonna sit right there. You gotta always be hungry, always get more, always go hard. I'm like, no, take the compliment. Let's normalize positivity. Let's normalize being like, hey, I really like, like I saw what you did, I really like, I appreciate it. I like what you did, like that was awesome. Like, let's normalize that. Because it feels good when you get encouraged. You know what it makes you wanna do? More stuff like that. When I correct a negative behavior, you either get a kid that shuts down or a kid that just doesn't care anymore. When I point out a positive behavior, you know, you get a smile and you get a repeat. The kid does it again and the kid does it again and the kid does it again and the kid does it again. Because we like that. We respond to it. 
And so as much as the church should not be negative and full of, of, of grumbling and complaining and slander and gossip, it should be a place full of positivity and encouragement and peace and forgiveness. That's a hard one, but that's point three. The church absolutely must be united with one another in forgiveness. Forgiveness. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Well, that's a sermon by itself. What are we taught? You get hit, what do you do? Hit them back. Somebody says something bad about you, what do you do? Say something bad about them. That's what we're taught. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches us to do. The Bible is very clear, and we've somehow just like ignored it for years, but the Bible is very clear. Turn the other cheek means, okay, you hit me. I'm gonna turn back around, I'm gonna look at you, and I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna keep loving you regardless of the fact that you're a jerk to me. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The golden rule. Pastor Brian talked about this last week too. Again, he stole a lot of my stuff last week. We should have like coordinated more or something. But the golden rule says to treat others as treat others as you wish to be treated, yada, 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 right? Nowhere in there does it say treat others as they treat you. Treat others well if they respond in kind. No, that's not how, it's period. Treat others how you wish to be treated. Treat others how, how you think you should be treated, period. Their response has no impact on this commandment from Jesus. Treat others as you know they should be treated, as you wish to be treated, period. There's no comma unless they're a jerk. It's not there. There's a reason why Jesus is getting spit on and still shares love. There's a reason why Jesus walks into these guys who are doing nothing but trying to make him stumble and make him trip, make him mess up and, and mock him and, and disrupt his ministry. And what does he do? He speaks truth and he loves people. Now we've turned love into a wussy thing like Jesus' love is, is, is a very big thing. I like guess it's, its own sermon series, not a sermon, a whole series, right? But, but that's what he does. Like he, he takes it, and he just takes it, and he takes it, and he takes it, and he takes it, and nothing they say changes how he responds. But the second that you offend me or get on my nerves, everything I do towards you, has it's changed. We hold grudges. Praise God, he's more forgiving than we are. I'm so glad that, that, that God the Father is way more patient than I am as a father. My daughter hesitates to pick a cereal in the morning and I'm like, pick something to eat. We hesitate and God's like, just come on, come on, let's figure it out. Let's work on through this. It's like the epitome of patience and then there's us. And praise God, he is way more forgiving and merciful and patient than we are. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So we need to be ready to forgive regardless of their attitude. And here's the thing, forgiveness is contagious. There's a domino effect with, with, with forgiveness. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over. Somebody makes the first move and they forgive and all of a sudden there's this domino effect of forgiveness. It is contagious. So is kindness. There's just something about forgiveness. There's just something about looking somebody in the eye and, and forgiving them and then watching stuff just fall. There's this avalanche of forgiveness. But it also says in, in that passage to bear with one another patiently. And so point number four, we already kind of talked about it a little bit, in patience. And most of you are losing patience with me right now because you're hungry, I'm hungry, we're all hungry. We're on point four of six, but I promise you the last three are faster than the first three. Not that it really matters because this is the word of God that I'm trying to fumble through. Um, and I'm gonna get us out of here on time so we can go get lunch. Because I, like I said, I'm hungry and we have people to celebrate and things like that. But, Bible talks about patience an awful lot. For a bunch of people that have their church, you know, church decal on the back of their car, or they have like the Jesus fish, and they're the ones that cut you off in traffic and flip you off and yell cussing out the window and blow their horn at you. There's just there's some irony there that like the Bible talks a lot about patience and we have road rage. The Bible talks about patience and we're like, when is this guy gonna finish preaching? Bible talks about patience and, and I'm sitting here at kids time while ago and my daughter's like flipping around and I look at her and I'm like, sit down. I do need to correct her, but there was zero build up to that. It was just like the second she moved, I was like, no, sit. Ephesians 4, chapter, Ephesians chapter four, verse two says, with all Humility, there's that word again, being humble. Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm gonna break the cold hard truth to you. You are supposed to love everybody. It does not mean that you like everybody, but you are supposed to love everybody. I don't have to like all of you. I said it, okay? I don't have to like all of you. So far I do. I've been here for six and a half months, almost to the day. I like everybody here. But you know what? There's gonna come that kid in the youth group one day. I just can't stand this kid. But I have to still love this kid. And part of loving that kid is me being patient with him. Part of me loving that kid is, is me putting aside my pride and recognizing that you know what, and it's gonna be a he. I'm using he on purpose. It's definitely gonna be a boy. Some of you are like, it's gonna be my kid. It's possible. Um, patience is being humble enough to recognize that his needs are the same as mine. Not the same, equal to mine. Patience is me recognizing that his his actions or inactions, his words, his word choices, his hyperness, his lack of hyperness, his whatever it is that I don't like about him, you know what, maybe it needs to be corrected some, but he matters the exact same that I matter. 
See, part of our patience issue is a pride issue. In fact, I'm not gonna say part, all of it is. That's all impatience is. Impatience is saying, what I'm trying to do matters more than what you're trying to do, get out of my way. Go faster, do it my way. You should just be listening. You're making me look bad. You know, why am I, why am I snapping and telling her to sit down real fast? Because I'm, I'm the youth pastor, I'm sitting front row, and I know that when she moves, you're like, it's a youth pastor's kid again. And then, like, I'm, I'm already prepared for that. Like, I, I, I know like there's that, Pastor's kids and youth pastor's kids get the shortest leash imaginable because the whole church judges the pastor off the pastor's kid and the youth pastor off the youth pastor's kid and that's just how it works and I'm aware of that and so I'm already prepping now like, oh gosh. Y'all are gonna fire me before she ever turns six. And she's a sweet kid but she just does everything big. And so... What's happening is I'm focused on me and how y'all are thinking about me and how y'all are looking at me and so there's a lot of me going on when I'm not patient with her. And I'm trying to get to amigos before everybody else and Sonny just carded out of my way. Hey, we're gonna go to amigos for lunch, that's okay. Cool, there we go, see? Just solving all kinds of problems up here. Most of our patience comes from a me-centered problem. Our lack of patience is a me-centered problem. So again, that goes back to our goal from the beginning, is the goal to glorify myself or is the goal to glorify the Father? We keep going, and, and, and so some of you, by the way, are thinking about examples of this in your own life. You're like, oh yeah, that's me, and, or maybe you're like, yeah, that's my spouse. Um, this is where confession comes in, which is my next point. The church must be united to one another in confession. This is the one that nobody likes. The rest of them are like, yeah, I need to be more patient. I need to be more humble. I need to be whatever. Confession, are you kidding me? I don't want to, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's great. I'm fine. I got nothing to confess. Yes, you do. I wish for one Sunday we would get out of our cars and we would come in and somebody says, hey, how you doing? We'd be honest. Oh, I'm great. Everything's been fantastic. I wasn't just yelling at everybody in the car on the way here. I wasn't just sitting there, we're late, we're late, we're late. I haven't had the worst week imaginable. I didn't just get a really bad you know, news report from somebody. Like, oh, no, we're not gonna share any of that. I'm fine, everything's great. How are you? So good to see you. Garbage. And we all know it, that's the thing, because we're all guilty laughing right now. We're all like, yeah, that's, that's true. Man, I wish just for one week we'd come in and just rip that mask off and be like, look, I'm broken this week. I've been sad this week, I've been mad this week, I, I don't know what to do, I'm struggling, I don't really feel good. Now, I'm not saying come in and complain all the time. We got enough of that. We complain everywhere all the time, that's what we do, that's what social media is for, is to complain, right? But to come in and be honest, and to come in and confess things, you, you wanna know why sin eats at us? Because we don't ever talk about it. We fight sin alone when the Bible teaches us to fight sin together. That's why these little sins grow into these things that consume our entire life because we don't ever talk about it. We don't feel safe talking about it. And, and this is a two-way street. We've got to be willing to confess, but we've got to be willing to accept and forgive. Now, I want to be very clear. We've got to accept the confession, not the sin. 
I'm not saying that we should just be like, oh, whatever you do is fine. No, it's not. It's not fine. There's truth. But if we're willing to actually accept these confessions from one another and not go gossip the confession to everybody else, well, now we can start sharing one another. And that is crazy difficult to get started because it, it requires trust. For me to, to go to Pete, sorry, Pete, for me to go to Pete and say, hey, man, look, I got this going on. I need, I need to talk to somebody about it requires me to trust that Pete is gonna talk to me and Jesus about it, and that'd be it. But most of us are worried, what's Pete gonna go and, and do with this information? Who else is he gonna tell? Who else is gonna know before I even get home about the thing that I shared with him in confidence, right? So we don't confess anything. That's why we've got teenagers doing all kinds of stupid stuff because they're afraid to talk to anybody about it. You know, it's, it's one bad click on the phone or one bad, you know, weekend night and then you got a whole lifestyle of garbage they're living in because they don't feel safe confessing it to anybody. One of the things that Hannah and I have been talking about with, with how we're gonna raise our girls is, I mean, there's obviously going to be consequences if they do dumb stuff. There's also gonna be safety in telling me what they did. There's gonna be this, this understanding of, look, we'll deal with the consequences tomorrow, but when you're in that situation, I need you to just go ahead and call me. I will come get you, I will come help you, we can come talk through it and grow through it, and yeah, there's gonna be consequences, but it's not going to be, I'm gonna destroy you because of what you did. And I think there's a massive fear of that in the church, that we're gonna be ostracized, that we're gonna be kicked out, that we're gonna be judged, that we're never gonna be able to go back to, to what was normal, and so therefore we just keep everything inside. I will go to the grave with my sin secrets because I can't confess them to anybody. You know what happens when your hands are busy holding everything to you? You can't be hands. You can't do anything with your hands. You can't be the hands and feet of Jesus because our hands and feet are hiding everything. Why is the church not growing? Because we can't grow because we're too busy staying still because we're trying to hide everything. And the numbers just get worse and the stats just get worse and, and you got you know, from, from teenagers to pastors that are, that are finding themselves in lifestyles of, of, of just junk because they have nowhere to go. The church should be a place of confession. We, sh we should be a place. I'm not saying that every Sunday, let's just take turns, get up here and be like, hey, this week, here's everything I did wrong. No, that's That's crazy. But the church should be full of groups of people that know they have each other's back and they can trust each other and they can go to each other and they can share, hey, I'm having a really bad week. Here's what I'm struggling with. We've gotta be able to confess. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You want healing from sin, you've gotta confess it. And then you and that person, pray about it. Take it to the Father. As the confessor, take that sin to the feet of the Father. As the one hearing the confession, pray for that person. And then continue to pray for that person. That they can grow, that they can find healing. Because ultimately, all healing comes from the Father. It doesn't come from us. 
And so as we confess and pray, as these two things work together, we get stuff off our chest and we seek the Lord about it and we have accountability with somebody else in it and guess what? Now we can grow. Because now next week, Pete's gonna come check on me and be like, hey man, how, how, how'd that go this week? Not in a judgmental way, but in a, hey, let's make sure we're, we're staying on the, right, on the right note here. Let's, let's make sure we're, we're staying where we're supposed to be. Accountability is a, is a big, big, big thing that most of us don't have because we're scared, and rightfully so. That goes back to that first point. There is no place for grumbling and for gossip and for that garbage in this church. Because if, if that's what I hear, then I don't feel safe to share anything. So we cut that mess out and then watch confession start happening and then we're gonna see healing start happening and then we're gonna see growth. And as we're healing and as we're growing, we can finally start to do what we're supposed to do. But I, I, wanna, I wanna remind you one more thing real fast and we gotta just move. I wanna remind you, I've already said it, forgiveness is not approval. And I think we've kind of gotten to the, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. When somebody confesses something, let's, let's be truthful about it. Accept the confession, don't accept the sin. We don't, allow, we don't, we don't permit lifestyles of sin. Like that's, that's the opposite of what the church is supposed to be doing. But when somebody comes clean about something, let's be like, okay, yeah, you're right, that's wrong. Let's build you out of this. Let's work together out of this. Let's grow out of this. Accept the confession, not the sin, and let's start growing because we have a mission. Mark 10, 45. Sorry, the church must be united in mission, point six. Uh, uh, yeah, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. First Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Why in the world are we doing all this stuff? Why are we gonna be patient and humble and why are we gonna confess sin and why are we gonna do all these things? Because we were given a mission. Not an option. Hudson Taylor, one of the most famous missionaries of all time uh, to, to China said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered, it is a command to be obeyed. But if I am constantly grumbling and complaining and I have no patience and I have no sympathy and I have no love and I'm eaten alive by the guilt of the sentence inside of me, I can't go live that mission. So why is the church not productive? Because we, we're, 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 we're messed up. So we've got to seek unity. We've got to seek not, not, not sameness, but oneness coming together to make one glorifying sound of the Father. And in that, we'll be living out the mission. Because we're gonna take it to home and to our teams and to our work and to our school and we're going to be suddenly these people that are set apart, that are patient, that are kind, that are tender, that are, are giving, that are serving, that are all these different things that all these Christian you know, lifestyle practices and, and all these different things. We'll finally be those things. Because we, united together, are holding each other accountable on it. And we're growing together in it. And we're getting better at it together. Because when I slip up, I know that I've got a church full of people who are gonna call me out and be like, hey, let's, let's, let's fix this. Not that they're going to attack me, but that they're gonna come behind me and say, hey, nope, you slipped, let's go, let's pick it back up. 
Let's get moving again. But we're afraid to do that because I don't want to call you on your stuff because you'll call me on my stuff and I don't want that. It's like, again, it goes back to confession. So we have this mission. We are to serve others, not ourselves, to serve others. So Jesus didn't save us so that we could have our best life now. I hate those books. Your best life now, that's garbage. Jesus didn't save us so that we could have immunity for our sin. Just go do whatever you wanna do, it's fine, don't worry about it. You're saved, it's fine, just go do whatever you wanna do. That's not what Jesus came here to do. He didn't come to give us a get out of hell free card. Jesus saved us to glorify the Father, period, end of sentence. Jesus saved us as an act of worship to the Father, as an act of obedience to the Father. And then Jesus called us to do the same thing, glorify the Father. And if we're united in that, if we're united in the Great Commission, if we're united in Romans 15, 6, that we together as a collection of voices are seeking to glorify the Father, if we're united in that, then we'll be the church that we see in the New Testament. We'll be the early church. We'll be the productive church. We'll be the church that is seeing salvation not once or twice a year, but all the time. Because God is, is not dead, he has not lost his power, he has not stopped doing miracles, he's not stopped saving people. We got a handful of testimonies right here on that. The reason why God may seem silent is because we're too busy looking at ourselves to do what he called us to do. We have a mission, and there's, there's no mission impossible if you choose to accept it. No, you, you get salvation, you get the mission, and the mission is to be united to one another in a way that glorifies the Father. And to grow, not to already be, but to grow in these truths. And so, when we live united in Christ in these things, then we will serve in the mission united as well. That's how it works. And so this morning, um, maybe you've got things you need to confess, maybe you've got people you need to forgive, maybe you've got to reevaluate your patience or lack thereof, maybe you've got to you know, check the conversations you're having, I don't know, we've all got things we need to work on, that's the point, is that we all have things we need to work on. So I'm gonna pray as the, the band comes back up or the worship team comes back up and, and I, I wanna pray and, and as we pray, just let the Lord speak to you this morning. And whatever it is that he's calling you to do, putting in your mind, putting in your heart, just trust him and follow it. Let's pray. Father, you are beyond good and beyond kind. Your forgiveness and your patience is, is second to none. We can never love like you. We can never be as patient as you. We can never forgive like you do. But God, we can try and I pray that's what we'll do. I pray that we'll start in our, in our homes, that we'll start in our families, we'll start with being patient and forgiving and, and compassionate and tenderhearted and that we'll start to be these things that you've called us to be. Take the small steps. That we'll confess sin until we can grow. And God, ultimately, we do all of this, God, because we want to glorify you, because we know that it glorifies you and it honors you when we're patient and when we're forgiving. 
and when we're kind. It honors your name and it glorifies you when we do all these things. And so, Father, just convict us and encourage us and allow us to begin to do these things. Love you and praise you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.